Hi, and welcome back to the Apprentico podcast. I'm your co-host Hayden, and I'm joined today by Carlo. Let's meet our guest. So, today we are joined by the boy wonder, Hamza, <laughs> who is a solicitor apprentice at Norton Rose Fulbright. For those who aren't aware, Norton Rose Fulbright is the law equivalent of what Google is in tech. Hamza has a very interesting story. He was going to be a doctor studying at Cambridge, but thought, you know what? I would like to become a solicitor instead and chose to go for a degree apprenticeship. So Hamza, what brings you here today? I, you know, was very fortunate to get an invitation from the Apprentego hosts and here I am. So I think going back to school is always an interesting point when it comes to people thinking about their careers and their choices and things like that. So take me back to around sort of GCSEs and A-levels. What was going through your mind in terms of um, careers you were thinking about and just your general experience, I guess, with school at that point? So I think growing up careers-wise, I'd always been interested in healthcare. It was the main sort of career that I had real connections with. I knew friends whose life fathers and stuff were doctors and in terms of all the other you know typical um, ethnic professions which you know the communities really emphasize those are your stuff like law finance and engineering but from my own world impression of them the only thing I really knew was high street solicitor firms the people working in banks you know when you go cash in for money mm-hmm. um, and in terms of engineering I knew literally no one um, so in that regards like healthcare was the most you know clearest track for me and I'd always been interested in sciences it was always a point of interest. So therefore, when it meant that I was pursuing, you know, GCSEs, A-levels, science is always something that I was quite keen to incorporate within them. And I was very fortunate, actually, at the end of year 11 to go have a two-week work placement at UCLH. So that's a hospital um, in Houston. And I was very fortunate for the two weeks to shadow a lot of the consultants there. So people who had 10, 15 years of experience in the profession. So to me at that time, it was like, you know, I'd, I was achieving, I was on the correct path. Everything was making sense. Everything was clicking together. I think behind the veil, if I, you know, especially now when I reflect, mm-hmm. there was a lot at works that was slowly already mm-hmm. like deterring me away from the medical profession. And, you know, it's completely personal to me. Um, for other people, you know, it, it naturally makes sense. But in terms of like the work-life balance, I was getting a lot of, you know, strong um, recommendations from the doctors, from the consultants to really think about that balance, you know, night shifts and stuff is a common occurrence that, you know, you don't really have the flexibility and especially you have to be on campus, on site. So I think as a family man, you know, it's a very strong core value that's been like raised and instilled in me. So. Yeah. What, what shocked you from that two week experience, particularly when you're a student, it's very easy to have an image in your mind of what a career is. Was there something that you feel is important, for example, for our, for our viewers and our listeners who might also be thinking about um, a career potentially in you know medicine that you feel would be key to share as almost like an instant not deal breaker but just a very important piece of information that you'd only really get having that experience because let's be honest not everyone um, is fortunate enough at that age to get that direct experience so it'd be great to share a bit of um, advice on your end. So our generation benefits a lot from living in that digital age. So I think a lot of people have already heard the stereotypes slowly be broken down. You know, we know that doctors work long hours. We know that they're not well compensated, you know, for the work that they do. So I won't really touch into that. That's stuff I imagine students are already aware of. I think for me, the main takeaway was that it wasn't as, you know, soul-fulfilling as I had hoped it to be. It was the main thing that really drew me into medicine. It was that, that altruistic nature that I was really keen to, you know, look forward to. And in terms of like, religion and you know like those sort of moral values and stuff it was the perfect profession in that sense but going there I think the two main things was that there was a lot of repetition in terms of cases 
And because there was a lot of repetition, because of the high volume of, you know, patients and especially now, you know, that was three, four years ago. But nowadays, the state of the NHS, the waiting times, the queues, it was much more of a conveyor belt sort of process. We didn't really get the time to really speak through like a patient's concerns. And I guess when you're getting the same sort of like symptoms, same sort of problems again, and, you know, you lose that personal element to it, it does really become like work. And I think that's a shame because there's so much going into it you're, you're dealing with another person's fears and to you they've just become you know some points on a page yeah um i think getting that experience especially at that time is very essential so my advice especially if you're i'd say like in year 12 or uh, around the sort of gcse time frame really key to try and get exposure to the careers you're thinking about because the idea of it could be very different to the reality and i guess that's Part of the beauty of apprenticeships as well is that you're seeing the reality of the career as well as the kind of theoretical world and how you think it might be in your head. And adding to that, I've just got to say that in a lot of healthcare profession jobs, a lot of people see it as, oh, you don't get a lot of money, but the people who want to do them kind of jobs don't do it for the money. They yeah. do it for that justice-driven, I want to help people. And that's that's what a lot of people do it for. And that's such a commendable thing. And But not, not everyone has that and if they do then they have to realize that the healthcare medical profession isn't actually fair like you said you're not giving bespoke care as such to every person mm. especially on an a and e ward it's more like tick a box go out tick a box go out and but that's not the doctor's fault because the doctor themselves probably doesn't want to do that they want to give care and attention to every patient but it is so difficult and i think being exposed to that at a young age probably saved you a lot of time because right now you might have been at your medical degree and finished and thought I don't actually want to do this I, I think the two main things um was that hearing from actual doctors and stuff um one key takeaway was that the current state is that management isn't necessarily medical professionals mm -hmm. and oftentimes because of you know the state of the healthcare system right now you're often pushed in at a junior level into perhaps roles and responsibilities that you don't have the necessary experience for and that's quite daunting you know it's a very real reality that people do die on wards and that's the nature of like the profession so I think that responsibility element is something that I definitely like recommend viewers to take away with them yeah. and the other element as well is that finances are important mm -hmm. they might not be the be on an end all and you know I would recommend that it, they're not the be an end all for most people but it's really important because when you do see that your peers who have you know, putting perhaps, you know, less time in the education system, mm -hmm. they might have only done three, four year degrees and they're earning, you know, two to three times your salary. You you, you really have to be a specific type of individual who d that doesn't leave a bitter taste in your mouth. And I think yeah. a lot of my friends now who are, at, you know, UCL, UCL and doing studying for medicine mm -hmm. is, you know, leaving second doubts in their mind. And that's just in the real world. You go on Instagram and you see some kids making millions of crypto, you're gonna to think to yourself, what's the point in doing this? <laughs> yeah. And you know, that there's a fine line between chasing money and chasing progression. I've always said that progression is a long road and money is just a signpost that you are going to pass when you go through that. So moving on to obviously why you chose to do a solicitor apprenticeship how, how did you find it like because law apprenticeships are really popular but how did you find it so at the time um there was no one in my sphere my network that knew of legal apprenticeships it was completely by chance so as, as we've sort of gathered i've switched from medicine to law mm -hmm. 
And that really happened because there was an organization known as Uptree. Um, I had accidentally signed with them and they were doing an event at a firm at the time known as Denton's. Uh, the event was actually mainly catered towards people aspiring to pursue law at university. I applied and I was very fortunate to be like one of the 15 or 20 so students that were selected. And a lot of the people from the cohort have now gone on to do great things. They're now solicitor apprentices themselves or, uh, you know, they're at some of the top leading establishments. But the very end of that session ended with Denton's advertising their solicitor apprenticeship scheme. And at the time, you know, I was quite on the university track. It was an afterthought. It wasn't, it was something that was never mentioned to me. And I wasn't even, you know, really concerned with the law profession in general. It was only, you know, months after that when I made the switch to law and I was thinking about professions and I was sort of uncontent with the offers I had at the time. I had UCL and LSC, but I didn't really see the benefit of pursuing a university degree to myself personally. What really spurred me on was that I then got a notification email saying are you sure like you know here's a reminder about an application for our program and that led me to you know do the google search fourth page way into the night where you know I was finding all the different firms opening I was very fortunate to have I didn't necessarily have mentors in that sense Um, none of my family were connected to the legal profession and stuff but what I did have was drive and I had LinkedIn um, and we're all obviously LinkedIn uh, professionals now. But at the time, all I was doing was I was reaching out to people at the firm saying, look, I'm applying to this scheme. I would love to hear your insights. You know, what's the culture like at the firm? I keep hearing this buzzword. Could you tell me a bit about it? And that really helped me because, you know, I really believe in the idea that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And my whole application process, I was self-taught, but it was that village of mentors and connections that was really mm-hmm. teaching me how to refine my applications. Yeah. And I think there's so many things that I'd like to touch on. I think the first one is if you're an employer, the touch point you have with students before they make critical choices like university is so key. You can have a domino effect with their career trajectory and pick up on amazing talent like Hamza, who potentially could have gone down the traditional university pathway. And that's not to say he wouldn't have been successful at university. It's just that he saw something that was very different and wanted to combine the best of both worlds. So I think that's super key. And I think the other thing that you you touched on that is really important is having the the support from the village of people around you in terms of mentoring, particularly when you don't have connections. Like I've personally been there, it's so hard to try and find that exposure. So if you feel you're a young person who you just feel like you're so disconnected and everyone has all the the right people in the right places, LinkedIn is a very, very good enabler for you to put yourself out there and be able to make connections that you might struggle to make in real life, but they can lead to offline conversations and, you know, advice at the right time that will really help you long run, in the long run, sorry. So yeah, those are two really key points, I think. I just wanted to highlight from what you said. And adding to that, so okay, you've applied, right, on the fourth page on Google, but you would think, you know, big firm, lots of money, they could optimize the SEO and be top page, (laughs) but they're not. So you apply, What what's the interview like? Because the senior thing is, is that surely they're in, used to interviewing grads who have a basic knowledge of the law, they've done a degree, they've probably shown a specific path where they're trying to specialize in. You probably have done, did you do law at A-level? No, I did not. Okay, so what did they expect you to know and what versus what did they ask you? So the, the one thing that I really want to open up to people, even people who pursue like, you know, university and stuff is that Uh, Law firms don't require you to do a law degree. Um, You can do history and then do something known as a conversion. Um, So very similar, you know, these 
recruiters, the partners and stuff at the firm, they're very much aware that not everyone has like a legal background, even if you've gone to university. Yeah. In terms of the process, so when I was applying, I'd made the switch from medicine to law and I'd made it re- relatively late. Um, this was around February time and applications for most apprenticeships open in September and shut around January. So I was only dealing with around five or so firms and now I think there's like 20, 25 firms um, on offer. So I was, I was applying quite late. I was learning as I was going along. And in terms of the interview process, as you mentioned, um, it's quite drawn out. So it starts with an application stage. This is, you know, uh, three typical questions. It might be why law, why the firm. It might be a business question. Tell us something that's happened that might impact our firm. After that, you know, they sift through the applications. They see whose writing style do they like, who's hitting all the key points, who's got that information there. Then it moves on to a telephone interview. Um, this can be done either virtually or, you know, it could be done actually by telephone. And there's also a psychometric test. So it varies between firms. The typical law one is the Watson Glazer, which is yeah. absolutely horrendous. <laughs> what, what is a psychometric test for people at home because that's a word that's getting thrown around more and more for yeah, degree apprenticeships definitely. it's getting it's making degree apprenticeships versus university separate psychometric tests on my tiktok people tell me i can't pass the test can't pass the test so what is a psychometric test so a psychometric test and you get this even at the graduate level so if you go through university and stuff it's really testing your written capabilities your maths capabilities you know your logic like how do you understand things and it's done through like so many different ways. Some firms do it by game system. So literally you're playing maze games and you know, you, all, all the old typical games that you play on your phone, they've just tried to um, gamify it in a way and then really like see based on your scores, do you fit within? Mm-hmm. Um, there's other ways. So for example, the Watson Glazer is a series of text-based um, questions that you get asked. It's like, what, which of these options are an assumption? Which of these is a presumption? Um, which one is missing, you know, logic to their statement, which one is an overgeneralization of an idea. Yeah, one thing I want to touch on is, did you feel prepared for psychometric tests? Because me personally, I had not a clue. <laughs> I just felt like I was a deer in headlights because the, the main reason I failed all my apprenticeship applications was because I was so unprepared with the psychometric test. Right. <laughs> do you have any advice for people who are just like, how the hell do I prepare for this? Um, because it's it's almost like a mini exam in a way. Yeah. Um, did you feel like you had access to resources to help you prepare? Or did you feel like you were relying on your skills from school to be able to do well in that? Definitely not skills from school. I think it's a very, very different sort of uh, testing method. Mm-hmm. And the way the school system is, is, obviously you have a textbook, you have you know resources that you know that this is the main content that you're gonna be tested on. Whereas this is complete variety and you've never seen the question type before and it's quite randomized. A lot of firms might offer you like a mock in terms of like they have a link to a preset that you can use and that's quite helpful. Google is such a powerful tool and as mentioned like LinkedIn is a really powerful tool. So at the time there was no body that was really like helping and stuff. Obviously I've helped create Ace where you know we do support applicants with psychometric tests um, you know guiding them through the process but for me at the time it was a lot of like YouTube searching um, so I'd literally take whatever test they've used so they if they've said watson glazer and i type that into youtube and see has anyone done a youtube video on it mm. is there a tutorial on it does it really help um i actually found that doing the mock once and then trying not to overthink it yeah. was the best method mm-hmm. but that's because i am quite a critic like a critical overthinker and with these tests because the difference between options are so thin so narrow you can really like shoot yourself in the foot if yeah. you think too much on it 
So sometimes it's about being bold and brash and just going like, you know, following your gut instinct. Yeah. But for, I know, so I've mentored applicants and I know for some of them, watching the YouTube tutorials and stuff that I mentioned was really, really helpful for them. Okay. So yeah. it definitely varies. So now what a lot of people probably want to think is day one, you've passed your interview. What do you do? What is it like walking through them doors? All right. Have you got people barging past you? Is everyone really out for themselves? Did you have to order Hugo Boss suit? What was it like? <laughs> I, had to order. I, I did not have to order Hugo Boss suit, um, especially post-COVID and stuff. Uh, suits are becoming less and less common. They're, because law is a traditional industry, you still have them when you visit like clients for the client functions, but it's very much a dress for your day. So people are wearing, you know, like sort of laid back clothing. Like Crocs. <laughs> not, 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 not that laid back although the banking teams you know I've, I've heard questionable things about them but in corporate uh, we keep it nice and um, classy um, but in terms of first day atmosphere Norton Rose Hallback has the most beautiful offices it's uh, London Bridge right next to Tower Bridge um, pure glass building and when you walk you know I remember walking and they have like a little garden in front and it's meticulously like kept and I think because it's right next to EY and PWC and it's such a touristy area within itself it's never hectic and bustling like that but it's always so well maintained and i think it's a real privilege to have that walk towards the office see the glass buildings and see the name in front norton mm -hmm. rose walbright and i remember walking in and it was literally me playing the suits theme in my head like the green back <laughs> boogie and i was like wow um but no it, it's truly an incredible experience and the first day we went up the glass elevator the partner was talking about charlie and the chocolate factory um and I think there's just a moment where you're just trying to sink it and absorb it in. And yeah. I think, you know, it's a shame that a lot of um, professionals in general, they become acclimatized to it. But I think for me, it's really important to every few weeks, whenever I'm in the office, just to take a moment and think like, this is worlds apart to whatever I've known. And I would say that mentality probably must be quite good for your degree, just to reflect on what you're doing, yeah. because you're in a very unique situation that a lot of people would like to be in, but not a lot of people do. So a question I've got for you is, okay, you're in the law firm, you're doing stuff. What is it like working with a solicitor at 18 years old? You're walking, what are they like? They're a bunch of characters. Um, no, it's, it's a whole like mix of personality types. You have some really senior professionals who have been there at the firm 40, 50 years. You know, they were there when everything was paper-based. They were there with the advent of technology. They were you know, and they're still here and they're still market leading. So it's incredibly humbling to be sort of like around them to like mm -hmm. see how their mind works because they are the people literally navigating, you know, what's the new form of contract? How does this legislation impact things? Can we actually do this merger? So it merges obviously when two companies join together. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the deals that happen that stop happening is actually because they're advising against it. So it's incredibly humbling in that sense. And you get to see like the difference in mindset as well. I think a lot of the new generation, the way that we sort of look at the world is so different to how they might have perceived it. Yeah. Because in terms of like workload and stuff, the work expectations and that balance aspect, it's it's just really interesting to see how the perspective how the perspectives mesh together. Yeah, I think just for context for our viewers, so Hamza is studying for a law degree, the same as any other law degree in terms of and he will avoid the competition of training contracts, which is a very, very competitive sort of part of trying to become a solicitor for most graduates yeah. because of the solicitor apprenticeship he's on this is something we touched on in one of our earlier episodes as well is that you're guaranteed to get to the profession that you're aiming for because everything is it's like a start to end track 
or a pathway. Mm-hmm. And Hamza is actually the first uh, solicitor apprentice, um, part of the first cohort. So for him, he was it was very new to him. He didn't necessarily have people who'd walked that path before him. So he's a trailblazer in his own right. But he touched on something earlier, which I'd like to come back to is ACE, he mentioned. So ACE Insights is an organization that Hamza co-founded where he's trying to level the playing field and help students. So Hamza, tell us a little bit about ACE Insights and the work you're doing as well. So I, I just wanted to take, um, mention briefly, mm-hmm. I'm the first cohort at Autumn Fulbright. So I've been very fortunate yeah. to like, interact with them. Um, people way before me um holly moore for example was like the very first apprentice yeah so um it's been interesting to navigate my own pathway because it's quite unique but i also benefit from my predecessors yeah absolutely because it's whilst there are solicitor apprentices older than you they're not in the same firm so you've got some elements of uh potential guidance and mentoring but for the company you're in you are basically the the first yeah the blueprint right you're gonna you're gonna set the precedent so how's that been that's you know what I'm incredibly privileged to have that opportunity because I think it allows me to shape an entire program around, you know, how I feel like it works best. Mm -hmm. It's really unique being the first cohort because I think you're really on level playing field with the people organizing the program. They're really keen to hear insights. And I think that's a shame when, you know, programs become four or five years and when they're entrenched into what works already, they're less open to innovation. Whereas, you know, being the first cohort, we're testing out okay can we do an international comment mm-hmm. in this year can we go so it's common is an opportunity to go like abroad essentially and you also have clients comments which is an opportunity opportunity to go to the client's office so mm-hmm. we're working out when can we do it what clients would work best for us you know how often should we rotate around teams do you need one mentor do you need seven mentors you know do you need a mentor yeah. so it's really interesting to have that support and have that eagerness from a firm and is that would you say being the sort of trailblazer is that what inspired you to set up ace insights or uh so yeah yeah. definitely um we've touched upon it already i was very fortunate that by complete chance i found out about the law Mm. and that was just the law as an entire field like you know different from the high street solicitors i knew of but in terms of the apprenticeship opportunity i once again it was another it was a fortune off of a fortune yeah you know having that one small segment that mentioned it so what ace really does is that I was very lucky to meet figures in their own respects who were massive in their space. Uh, One figure was Omer Tanvir at BT. Um, I'd seen him on the billboards and stuff and I knew he'd be a very um, inspirational uh, figure and he always took the time to speak with mentees. And equally, you know, Amna, who was on the podcast previously, um, Aisha, who's now the head of the EY Muslim Network, Iman, you know, so many fantastic people in the ACE team. And together, what we really saw was that there's this epidemic of people who have questions that need to be answered. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you can appreciate, as we get busy within our careers, it's quite difficult to single-handedly um, respond to each question. Yeah. I've been very privileged for, you know, three years to still have some sort of, like, mentoring program that I reach, like, you know, students reach out to me and I can support them and I can put them in contact with the right people because now I've established my own network. Yeah. But what ACE really looks to do is to solidify that and to make it geographically blind in the sense that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're from the same borough as I was, or it doesn't matter if you're from the other part of London, we still want to give you opportunities. And there's so many boroughs that are untouched. They've never heard of the word apprenticeship. Mm. Or if they have heard of it, it's plumbing and electrical. Uh, yeah, and exactly. They just see it as like, oh, apprenticeship, plumber, oh, trading. That's what they do. And that's very commendable. I think really, really commendable thing to Not a lot of people would do that, especially when 
let's be real, right? On average, how many hours do you work? Before you answer that, I've heard stories yeah. of people <laughs> that they go in at 8 o'clock in the morning, they leave at 11 p.m. at night, and they're back in the office for 8 again. And I understand that you are a junior, right? But you must have had a taste of that all whilst going for your degree. I, th I think the degree element particularly, um, based on you know how I've always treated my academics at A-levels, at GCSEs, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. um, so in the degree element, it easily um, bleeds over into my like weekends, into my evenings and stuff, and that's just the nature of it if you want to achieve like the highest. I know people who are very like strict. Mm -hmm. They have a study day, they only work on the study day, um, nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. So uh, it definitely depends on the candidate. But in terms of uh, the long hours and stuff, I'm very fortunate that my provider's very aware, very like considerate and very concerned about our well-being and stuff. So our hours are for the most part protected. You do have the element where a part of you wants to work a bit more. And that's just the nature of working on some of like the world's leading deals. When you see companies that you grew up with and you know, you're working on those projects, you want to be part of every moment. Mm. And I think that's when the apprentice really has to decide, am I happy enough to blur that boundary? will I be able to come back from it? And I've been very lucky to always have been able to have that strong communication with my like supervisors. And I've always had my enthusiasm matched like very positively. Yeah. But I know at other firms, it's not the case. So again, you know, that's, that's a really good answer. I like that. So question that a lot of people want to know is where, well, no one really knows because no one's really finished your specific apprenticeship. Where are you projected to be when you finish your apprenticeship program and also how long is it <laughs> the program is six years long yes i know very very uh long uh, but in terms of how it matches up how it marries up with the traditional route it's the exact same um you would do three years law school typically you would do one year like specific law training and then uh, you'd have the two years training contract which is obviously what Haydar alluded to earlier um but for me, we do four years law school and then we have the train contract incorporated at the end. So exactly the same. The only difference is that because we have it incorporated, our scheme is six years. Whereas typically if you went to university, you wouldn't call it six years. Question I would ask, a lot of parents are probably thinking, okay, I go, I want my child to go to Cambridge to do law. I know they're going to be taught by people who have been lecturing the subject for many, many, many years. What are your lecturers like at your university? Are they kind of different? Because you're in this real world environment i know that a lot of degree apprenticeship degrees an example is computer science has been basically transformed into something called digital technology solutions mm -hmm. which basically gets rid of all the theory part and gets straight into the doing right so is your you know version of the law degree you're doing no matter that it does have the same outcome as someone else is the curriculum the same the curriculum the core curriculum is the exact same there's certain modules that you have to do to qualify as a solicitor in england and wales mm -hmm. And that's like contract law, it's like public law. Those are the sort of modules that you're mm -hmm. looking at. And that'd be the same for near enough every single university in the country. Um, so you'd also do that at Cambridge and Oxford. In terms of how the lecturers are, how they compare and you know the differences, I think at university you have a bit more variety. You can pick up elements of law that you're actually interested in. So if you're interested in immigration law, family law, that's not an opportunity that you have necessarily as a solicitor apprentice. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you could do it in your own time, but who wants to be studying on top of studying? <laughs> um, but in terms of like quality and stuff, I think my best learning comes from actually on the job. Yep. Mm. And I don't think that's something that's 
replicable in a university environment by any way means or form even if you took those same same individuals and put them into university environment it wouldn't be as comparative to the learning that an apprentice gets yeah as mentioned the people i work with are world leading yeah um they are the go-to people for like those type of deals mm -hmm. the, the go-to people for that entire area of work and you get to work with them and you get to see exactly how they work the systems that they operate are they a person that gets up like 6 a.m in the morning they you know work like, like a horse until the evening are they a person who you know relies very heavily on their juniors are they someone that you know condenses and does it all by themselves you get to sort of learn their habits and you know not everything will match up exactly with how your own worldview is what you like and mm -hmm. how you like to work but there's a lot of advice and you know they always talk about learning through osmosis but there is an element of that where you get to pick up the habits and see what works for you yeah and touching on um projects and cases obviously without going into explicit details what are some of the most memorable projects that you've been involved in uh memorable projects so we've done a lot of um world leading work i think for me there's been two massive projects but the one thing i want to mention is that in my first eight months at the firm i didn't touch a single piece of domestic work so domestic meaning uk so everything else everything i was doing was like global it was mm. you know ethiopia and it was you know mogos and it was you know zimbabwe like all over the world dubai in terms of the memorable deals one of them was it's, it's really complicated there's something known as p and i um and that's a type of insurance and you typically have it in like shipping so boats naturally they have a charter they need to be insured something goes wrong just in general is how like like how that uh, big ship last year just got stuck for yeah five the days. Has cut out. Like that. okay so there's, there's a lot of insurance um elements and because it's such a big industry that they have they have dedicated insurers for that mm -hmm. and in the world there's 13 massive ones so imagine that they rule the seas is like the way i like to think about it and two of them are merging together so if you have you know only 13 of these type of companies really in the world and two of them merging together it's a massive momentous deal mm -hmm. and to work on that deal as a junior you know there was press releases i had my name in like all the news outlets and stuff so it was really exciting for that element and then there's another one um it involved like a company I knew since like very young. I got to meet the directors. So they flew over from the country. We had breakfast, we had lunch with them. Um, there was a celebration signing deal. It was a billion in terms of like value and stuff. The contract was worth so much. And it was like the first private uh, telecom network that they were creating. So that was an incredible experience. And would you say that, let's be real, at this point in time, you are probably in history your cohort and the young generation today, the youngest legal professionals, you could say, at the moment, because no one who is younger than you or less qualified than you can go into a law firm and do what you're doing. And yeah. being where you are, like, would a graduate be exposed to a similar opportunity as this? I say you did your law degree and you joined. Would you have been exposed if you was in the same moment in time to that opportunity or not? Do you feel as you're an apprentice, you'd get a bit of special treatment? <laughs> it's always controversial to me i do feel like there's a spotlighting as an apprentice i think you have to make use of it and you you know you do have to like champion your own voice but the firm understands that it's such young talent and they're mm -hmm. really keen to like you know invest into it i've been very fortunate to go to cambodia with the firm to be a global ambassador for our charitable causes and that was just me you know shouting and screaming about the fact that i am one of the advocates from the firm at one of its youngest stages i do a lot of our insight days and stuff mm -hmm. and you know the charitable element was something that initially attracted me to the firm and that was you know a, a large part of my pitch yeah for being mm -hmm. a global ambassador yeah 
and then to be involved in the fundraising to fundraise in the six figures and then to go and like actually see the project on the ground was incredible and i don't know if i would have had that experience as a trainee just because of how busy you'd be mm. how much concern and stress there is about will i get the job off at the end but as an apprentice you know you can afford to appreciate the moments that you're living in yeah being an apprentice is such an unfair advantage you are in a very unique position you're this shiny new mystical thing you're like this unicorn when it comes to like education and talent for a company because it's so new you can really drive how you capitalize on the opportunity because you get what i would call a first mover advantage so you are getting to shape it how you want the same way at university you can get involved in all these different societies and things like that companies also have different things that you can get involved in for example charity was something that was important to hamza so he leaned into that side of it as an apprentice there's so much you can get involved in from personal experience i felt that i really got that unique exposure to things that i probably wouldn't have at university and again because it's within a business setting you get to make more impact in my opinion because you're you're not having to build your own resources you're yeah. using an established network a company that's been around for so long and has got all the things in place to make it easier for you mm -hmm. they just need you to just go out and do it right Definitely. so I really emphasize the point of being uh, that being an apprentice is such a huge unfair advantage because you're learning and anything you do is impressive to the employer but at the same time they also acknowledge that you know you're not going to know everything so you kind of get the best of it adding to not knowing everything do you must know you must have met does the Harvey Specter figures from Suits exist or are they, <laughs> or are they hard to come by? Uh, they definitely exist. Um, depending on the firm as well, you probably get more of them. Essentially what the Harvey Specter figures to me is someone that's top of their field. They're a well-known name and they work on all the biggest deals and they earn a lot of, lot of money. That definitely exists. Do I think it's reflective of the life of a lawyer? Elements are, you know, you do fly like first class and stuff for certain clients. You know, if you're working on those billion dollar deals, you know, you will be flying first class. You do have, so our team dinner was to Hakkasan. So, you know, a Michelin star dining restaurant experience at like a very young age was not something that would ever be on the cards for me unless I was in the law field. So there are elements of it. Do I think, you know, it's feasible though for like everyone? Well, the one thing I've always said is that Yes, there's Harvey Specter elements to it, but there's also equally Mike Ross and Lewis Litt type of elements to it. When you look at Lewis Litt as a figure, he's always working. He's a very technical individual and you get those figures as well in the law firm. Mm -hmm. People who have incredible work rates and know the law to a T. They know every inside and out, understand the legislation and they can even predict what you know they can imagine will be coming the next few months and next few years. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a key thing to take away. There's not a cookie cutter lawyer or solicitor yeah. you can have different personalities and bring something unique to the law profession so don't feel that oh i don't know like i'm too introverted or i'm not this hardcore extrovert mm -hmm. <laughs> that so I, like the law can't be for me so i think i'd love to ask if there's someone listening to this thinking that hmm okay that sounds interesting uh, law specifically becoming a solicitor what advice would you give to particularly young people or even parents or parents yeah. like if you're again why if you know some parent has their child has an opportunity to do what you're doing or go to Cambridge. Why is a Norton Rose Fulbright solicitor degree apprenticeship better than going to Cambridge and doing law? The firm comes with associated prestige and I think that's what the end point of a Cambridge and Oxford degree would be. The candidates who go to Oxbridge and you know they come up with the first, they end up at firms like mine. And if you're 
if your end point is to end up at a firm like mine then imagine doing that but four years earlier than them and that's the sort of way that i look at it mm -hmm. and you're doing that four years earlier than them so you get four more years to like make a name for yourself which is really important because i think the great pity would be to go to oxbridge to join a firm and then just to be another face you know you do want to have your own personality and that's one thing that i would say an apprenticeship allows you to be known within your firm to be an established figure to be someone that people will actually look out for you know is so and so in you know let's speak to so and so let's get so and so involved in the project yeah and i think that's like the biggest draw um what i would recommend to parents as well is just having a bit of faith in your children um i i know it's very hard to like let go and stuff but sometimes i do feel like students know what's best and i think if you're if your child is picking this list or you know any apprenticeship a degree apprenticeship over university you have to break it down and are they actually losing anything because if you're getting the degree if you're getting the apprenticeship then i think just just a degree is a loss i think it's actually a negative in the equation yeah as always there's so many more questions we'd love to ask and well, the last <laughs> one we will have to ask is where can people find you? What, what, how, how do I join Ace Insights? Uh, obviously, I'm very thankful for you to ask that. LinkedIn, unfortunately, is where I am at most of the time. I am quite responsive. But in terms of having the most impact and stuff, that is Ace Insights. We're on Instagram. Um, the website is also Ace Insights. We're also on LinkedIn. And if you ever have a question about apprenticeships, you know, we're literally one DM away. And we're very excited to announce, actually, that the 27th of this month, we have a finance work experience with a wealth management company. They've only ever done events for the children of clients. And this is the first time that they've given us 15 spaces to choose students of our choice. So we're incredibly excited to announce that we have 15 students of free school meal backgrounds who are attending. And I think that's fantastic. Well, for all the folks at home, you've heard it here. Go apply now. Thanks for watching the Apprentice Go podcast. New episodes will be available every Friday at 5pm GMT. If you enjoyed, then please leave a like and make sure to rate us five stars. It's been your host, Carlo. Take care.